Question 32, Part 2 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Charity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues. The Virtue of Charity, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 32 of Alms Deeds in Ten Articles, Part 2, Articles 6 through 10. Sixth Article, Whether One Ought to Give Alms Out of What One Needs. Objection 1 it would seem that one ought not to give alms out of what one needs. For the order of charity should be observed not only as regards the effect of our benefactions, but also as regards our interior affections. Now, it is a sin to contravene the order of charity, because this order is a matter of precept. Since, then, the order of charity requires that a man should love himself more than his neighbor, it seems that he would sin if he deprived himself of what he needed in order to succor his neighbor. Objection to, further, whoever gives away what he needs himself squanders his own substance, and that is to be prodigal, according to the philosopher in Ethics 4.1. But no sinful deed should be done. Therefore, we should not give alms out of what we need. Objection 3. Further, the Apostle says in 1 Timothy 5.8, If any man have not care of his own, and especially of those of his house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Now if a man gives of what he needs for himself or for his charge, he seems to detract from the care he should have for himself or his charge. Therefore, it seems that whoever gives alms from what he needs sins gravely. On the contrary, our Lord said in Matthew 19.21, If thou wilt be perfect, go, sell what thou hast, and give to the poor. Now he that gives all he has to the poor gives not only what he needs not, but also what he needs. Therefore, a man may give alms out of what he needs. I answer that, a thing is necessary in two ways. First, because without it something is impossible, and it is altogether wrong to give alms out of what is necessary to us in this sense. For instance, if a man found himself in the presence of a case of urgency, and had merely sufficient to support himself and his children, or others under his charge, he would be throwing away his life and that of others if he were to give away in alms what was then necessary to him. Yet I say this without prejudice to such a case as might happen, supposing that by depriving himself of necessaries a man might help a great personage and a support of the church or state, since it would be praiseworthy act to endanger one's life and the lives of those who are under our charge for the delivery of such a person, 
since the common good is to be preferred to one's own. Secondly, a thing is said to be necessary if a man cannot without it live in keeping with his social station as regards either himself or those of whom he has charge. The necessary, considered thus, is not an invariable quantity, for one might add much more to a man's property and yet not go beyond what he needs in this way, or one might take much from him and he would still have sufficient for the decencies of life in keeping with his own position. Accordingly, it is good to give alms of this kind of necessary, and it is a matter not of precept but of counsel. Yet it would be inordinate to deprive oneself of one's own in order to give to others to such an extent that the residue would be insufficient for one to live in keeping with one's station and the ordinary occurrences of life. For no man ought to live unbecomingly. There are, however, three exceptions to the above rule. The first is when a man changes his state of life, for instance, by entering religion, for then he gives away all his possessions for Christ's sake, and does the deed of perfection by transferring himself to another state. Secondly, when that which he deprives himself of, though it be required for the decencies of life, can nevertheless easily be recovered, so that he does not suffer extreme inconvenience. Thirdly, when he is in presence of extreme indigence in an individual, or great need on the part of the common weal, for in such cases it would seem praiseworthy to forego the requirements of one's station in order to provide for a greater need. The objections may be easily solved from what has been said. Seventh article, whether one may give alms out of ill-gotten goods. Objection one. It would seem that one may give alms out of ill-gotten goods. For it is written in Luke 16, 9, Make unto you friends of the mammon of iniquity. Now mammon signifies riches. Therefore, it is lawful to make unto oneself spiritual friends by giving alms out of ill-gotten riches. Objection to, further. All filthy lucre seems to be ill-gotten. But the profits from whoredom are filthy lucre. Wherefore it was forbidden in Deuteronomy 23.18 to offer therefrom sacrifices or oblations to God. Thou shalt not offer the hire of a strumpet in the house of thy God. In like manner, gains from games of chance are ill-gotten. For as the philosopher says in Ethics 4.1, we take such like gains from our friends to whom we ought rather to give. And most of all are the prophets from simony ill-gotten, since thereby the Holy Ghost is wronged. Nevertheless, out of such gains, it is lawful to give alms. Therefore, one may give alms out of ill-gotten goods. Objection 3. Further, greater evils should be avoided more than lesser evils. Now it is less sinful to keep back another's property 
than to commit murder of which a man is guilty if he fails to succor one who is in extreme need as appears from the words of ambrose who says feed him that dies of hunger if thou hast not fed him thou hast slain him therefore in certain cases it is lawful to give alms of ill-gotten goods on the contrary augustine says give alms from your just labors for you will not bribe christ your judge not to hear you with the poor whom you rob give not alms from interest and usury i speak to the faithful to whom we dispense the body of christ i answer that a thing may be ill-gotten in three ways in the first place a thing is ill-gotten if it be due to the person from whom it is gotten and may not be kept by the person who has obtained possession of it as in the case of rapine theft and usury and of such things a man may not give alms since he is bound to restore them secondly a thing is ill-gotten when he that has it may not keep it and yet he may not return it to the person from whom he received it because he received it unjustly while the latter gave it unjustly this happens in simony wherein both giver and receiver contravene the justice of the divine law so that restitution is to be made not to the giver but by giving alms the same applies to all similar cases of illegal giving and receiving thirdly a thing is ill-gotten not because the taking was unlawful but because it is the outcome of something unlawful as in the case of a woman's profits from whoredom this is filthy lucre properly so called because the practice of whoredom is filthy and against the law of god yet the woman does not act unjustly or unlawfully in taking the money consequently it is lawful to keep and to give in alms what is thus acquired by an unlawful action reply to objection one as augustine says some have misunderstood this saying of our lord so as to take another's property and give thereof to the poor thinking that they are fulfilling the commandment by doing so this interpretation must be amended yet all riches are called riches of iniquity because riches are not unjust save for those who are themselves unjust and put all their trust in them or according to ambrose in his commentary on luke sixteen nine make unto yourselves friends etc he calls mammon unjust because it draws our affections by the various allurements of wealth or because among the many ancestors whose property you inherit there is one who took the property of others unjustly although you know nothing about it as basil says in his homily on luke or all riches are styled riches of iniquity that is of inequality because they are not distributed equally among all one being in need and another in affluence reply to objection to 
We have already explained how alms may be given out of the profits of whoredom. Yet sacrifices and oblations were not made therefrom at the altar, both on account of the scandal and through reverence for sacred things. It is also lawful to give alms out of the profits of simony, because they are not due to him who paid, indeed he deserves to lose them. But as to the profits from games of chance, there would seem to be something unlawful as being contrary to the divine law, when a man wins from one who cannot alienate his property, such as miners, lunatics, and so forth, or when a man, with the desire of making money out of another man, entices him to play and wins from him by cheating. In these cases he is bound to restitution, and consequently cannot give away his gains in alms. Then again there would seem to be something unlawful as being against the positive civil law, which altogether forbids any such profits. Since, however, a civil law does not bind all, but only those who are subject to that law, and moreover may be abrogated through some desuetude, it follows that all such as are bound by these laws are bound to make restitution of such gains, unless perchance the contrary custom prevail, or unless a man win from one who has enticed him to play, in which case he is not bound to restitution, because the loser does not deserve to be paid back. And yet he cannot lawfully keep what he has won, so long as that positive law is in force, wherefore in this case he ought to give it away in alms. Reply to Objection 3. All things are common property in a case of extreme necessity. Hence one who is in such dire straits may take another's goods in order to succor himself if he can find no one who is willing to give him something. For the same reason a man may retain what belongs to another and give alms thereof, or even take something if there be no other way of succoring the one who is in need. If, however, this be possible without danger, he must ask the owner's consent, and then succor the poor man who is in extreme necessity. Eighth Article Whether One Who Is Under Another's Power Can Give Alms Objection 1. It would seem that one who is under another's power can give alms, for religious are under the power of their prelates, to whom they avowed obedience. Now if it were unlawful for them to give alms, they would lose by entering the state of religion. For as Ambrosiaster says on 1 Timothy 4.8, Dutifulness is profitable to all things. The sum total of the Christian religion consists in doing one's duty by all. And the most credible way of doing this is to give alms. Therefore, those who are in another's power can give alms. Objection to. Further, a wife is under her husband's power, according to Genesis 3.16. But a wife can give alms, since she is her husband's partner. Hence it is related of the blessed Lucy, that she gave alms without the knowledge of her betrothed. Therefore, a person is not prevented from giving alms 
by being under another's power. Translator's note, betrothed is translated from sponsus. The matrimonial institutions of the Romans were so entirely different from ours that sponsus is no longer accurately rendered either husband or betrothed. Objection 3. Further, the subjection of children to their parents is founded on nature, wherefore the Apostle says in Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. But apparently, children may give alms out of their parents' property, for it is their own, since they are the heirs. Wherefore, since they can employ it for some bodily use, it seems that much more can they use it in giving alms, so as to profit their souls. Therefore, those who are under another's power can give alms. Objection for further, servants are under their master's power, according to Titus 2.9. Exhort servants to be obedient to their masters. Now they may lawfully do anything that will profit their masters, and this would be especially the case if they gave alms for them. Therefore, those who are under another's power can give alms. On the contrary, alms should not be given out of another's property, and each one should give alms out of the just profit of his own labor, as Augustine says. Now if those who are subject to anyone were to give alms, this would be out of another's property. Therefore, those who are under another's power cannot give alms. I answer that, anyone who is under another's power must, as such, be ruled in accordance with the power of his superior, for the natural order demands that the inferior should be ruled according to its superior. Therefore, in those matters in which the inferior is subject to his superior, his ministrations must be subject to the superior's permission. Accordingly, he that is under another's power must not give alms of anything in respect of which he is subject to that other, except in so far as he has been commissioned by his superior. But if he has something in respect of which he is not under the power of his superior, he is no longer subject to another in its regard, being independent in respect of that particular thing, and he can give alms therefrom. Reply to Objection 1. If a monk be dispensed through being commissioned by his superior, he can give alms from the property of his monastery, in accordance with the terms of his commission. But if he has no such dispensation, since he has nothing of his own, he cannot give alms without his abbot's permission, either express or presumed for some probable reason. Except in a case of extreme necessity, when it would be lawful for him to commit a theft in order to give an alms. Nor does it follow that he is worse off than before, because it is a good thing to give one's property to the poor little by little, but it is better still to give all at once in order to follow Christ, and being freed from care, to be needy with Christ. Reply to Objection 2. A wife who has another property besides her dowry, which is for the support of the burdens of marriage, 
whether that property be gained by her own industry or by any other lawful means can give alms out of that property without asking her husband's permission yet such alms should be moderate lest through giving too much she impoverish her husband otherwise she ought not to give alms without the express or presumed consent of her husband except in cases of necessity as stated in the case of a monk in the preceding reply for though the wife be her husband's equal in the marriage act yet in matters of housekeeping the head of the woman is the man as the apostle says in first corinthians eleven three as regards blessed lucy she had a betrothed not a husband wherefore she could give alms with her mother's consent reply to objection three what belongs to the children belongs also to the father wherefore the child cannot give alms except in such small quantity that one may presume the father to be willing unless perchance the father authorizes child to dispose of any particular property the same applies to servants hence the reply to the fourth objection is clear ninth article whether one ought to give alms to those rather who are more closely united to us objection one it would seem that one ought not to give alms to those rather who are more closely united to us for it is written in ecclesiasticus twelve verses four and six give to the merciful and uphold not the sinner do good to the humble and give not to the ungodly now it happens sometimes that those who are closely united to us are sinful and ungodly therefore we ought not to give alms to them in preference to others objection to further alms should be given that we may receive an eternal reward in return according to matthew six eighteen and thy father who seeth in secret will repay thee now the eternal ward is gained chiefly by the alms which are given to the saints according to luke sixteen nine make unto you friends of the mammon of iniquity that when you shall fail they may receive you into everlasting dwellings which passage augustine expounds who shall have everlasting dwellings unless the saints of god and who are they that shall be received by them into their dwellings if not those who succor them in their needs therefore alms should be given to the more holy persons rather than to those who are more closely united to us objection three further man is more closely united to himself but a man cannot give himself an alms therefore it seems that we are not bound to give alms to those who are most closely united to us on the contrary the apostle says in first timothy five eight if any man have not care of his own and especially of those of his house he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel i answer that as augustine says in on christian doctrine one twenty eight it falls to us by lot as it were to have to look to the welfare of those who are more closely united to us 
Nevertheless, in this matter, we must employ discretion, according to the various degrees of connection, holiness, and utility. For we ought to give alms to one who is much holier and in greater want, and to one who is more useful to the common weal, rather than to one who is more closely united to us, especially if the latter be not very closely united, and has no special claim on our care then and there, and who is not in very urgent need. Reply to Objection 1. We ought not to help a sinner as such, that is, by encouraging him to sin, but as man, that is, by supporting his nature. Reply to Objection 2. Alms deeds deserve on two counts to receive an eternal reward. First, because they are rooted in charity, and in this respect an alms deed is meritorious in so far as it observes the order of charity, which requires that, other things being equal, we should in preference help those who are more closely connected with us. Wherefore Ambrose says in On the Duties of the Clergy 130, it is with commendable liberality that you forget not your kindred, if you know them to be in need, for it is better that you should yourself help your own family, who would be ashamed to beg help from others. Secondly, alms deeds deserve to be rewarded eternally through the merit of the recipient who prays for the giver, and it is in this sense that Augustine is speaking. Reply to Objection 3. Since alms deeds are works of mercy, just as a man does not, properly speaking, pity himself, but only by a kind of comparison, as stated above in question 30, articles 1 and 2, so too, properly speaking, no man gives himself an alms, unless he act in another's person. Thus when a man is appointed to distribute alms, he can take something for himself, if he be in want, on the same ground as when he gives to others. Tenth Article Whether Alms Should Be Given in Abundance Objection 1. It would seem that alms should not be given in abundance. For we ought to give alms to those chiefly who are most closely connected with us but we ought not to give to them in such a way as they are likely to become richer thereby, as Ambrose says in On the Duties of the Clergy 130. Therefore, neither should we give abundantly to others. Objection to further. Ambrose says in On the Duties of the Clergy 130, We should not lavish our wealth on others all at once. We should dole it out by degrees. But to give abundantly is to give lavishly. Therefore, alms should not be given in abundance. Objection 3. Further, the Apostle says in Second Corinthians 8.13, Not that others should be eased, that is, should live on you without working themselves, and you burthened, that is, impoverished. But this would be the result if alms were given in abundance. Therefore, we ought not to give alms abundantly. On the contrary, it is written, 
in Tobias 4.93, If thou have much, give abundantly. I answer that alms may be considered abundant in relation either to the giver or to the recipient. In relation to the giver, when that which a man gives is great as compared with his means. To give thus is praiseworthy, wherefore our Lord, in Luke 21, verses 3 and 4, commended the widow because of her want she cast in all the living that she had. Nevertheless, those conditions must be observed which were laid down when we spoke of giving alms out of one's necessary goods. Article 9. On the part of the recipient, an alms may be abundant in two ways, first by relieving his need sufficiently, and in this sense it is praiseworthy to give alms, secondly, by relieving his need more than sufficiently. This is not praiseworthy, and it would be better to give to several that are in need, wherefore the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 13.3, If I should distribute to feed the poor, on which words a gloss comments. Thus we are warned to be careful in giving alms, and to give not to one only, but to many, that we may profit many. Reply to Objection 1. This argument considers abundance of alms as exceeding the needs of the recipient. Reply to Objection 2. The passage quoted considers abundance of alms on the part of the giver, but the sense is that God does not wish a man to lavish all his wealth at once, except when he changes his state of life, wherefore he goes on to say, Except we imitate Eliseus, who slew his oxen and fed the poor with what he had, so that no household cares might keep him back. 3 Kings 19.21 Reply to Objection 3. In the passage quoted, the words, not that others should be eased or refreshed, refer to that abundance of alms which surpasses the need of the recipient, to whom one should give alms, not that he may have an easy life, but that he may have relief. Nevertheless, we must bring discretion to bear on the matter, on account of the various conditions of men some of whom are more daintily nurtured and need finer food and clothing. Hence Ambrose says in On the Duties of the Clergy 130, When you give alms to a man, you should take into consideration his age and his weakness, and sometimes the shame which proclaims his good birth, and again that perhaps he has fallen from riches to indigence through no fault of his own. With regard to the words that follow, and you burdened, they refer to abundance on the part of the giver, yet, as a gloss says on the same passage, he says this not because it would be better to give in abundance, but because he fears for the weak, and he admonishes them so to give that they lack not for themselves. End of question 32 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.